Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In the previous program, I referenced this matter of multiple mutations of the original coronavirus. And the Los Alamos National Laboratory, in combination with scientists from Duke University and from the University of Sheffield in England, have actually identified 14 individual mutations at this point in time. Who's to say how many there shall be eventually? But one in particular, which is designated as D as in dangerous, 614G as in genome, is of particular concern. Betty Korber, who is outstandingly (laughs) known in her field, she stated the following, quote, The story is worrying as we see a mutated form of the virus very rapidly emerging and over the month of March becoming the dominant pandemic form. When viruses with this mutation enter a population, they rapidly begin to take over the local epidemic. Thus, they are more transmissible, end quote. More transmissible, meaning more contagious, more infectious, and thus more dangerous. But this particular mutation has shown itself to be particularly hardy and aggressive, and it has, in essence, pushed out the others. It has taken them over, maybe gobbled them up, whatever has taken place. It has displaced or supplanted the others. It came from Europe. That doesn't mean it originated there, but that's where it is traced to is Europe before it made the leap to the United States of America. But these are things that complications that make this situation all the more problematic. The other day, I also made mention of a new drug that has been approved by the Food and Drug Administration, the Federal Food and Drug Administration, and this is for treatment of an especially aggressive type of breast cancer, which spreads in the body and into the brain. Now, this, again, I need to emphasize this. This is for an especially aggressive type of breast cancer. The reason I emphasize that is this. In the previous program, I mentioned 
about a national public service campaign I undertook a quarter of a century ago and which was decried and just shut down by all of the concerted forces of the abortion activists. The public service campaign was dedicated to communicating the truth of the abortion breast cancer link, the link between induced abortion and heightened incidence of breast cancer and of earlier onset breast cancer and of more virulent, recurrent, aggressive strains of breast cancer. All of these wonderful experts who claimed I did not have expertise and therefore I had no business being a messenger, (laughs) right? Just like all of these anchors, these news anchors, they have no right to be messengers of anything if they are not experts in their field. Well, and then, of course, being a man, that further disqualified me. But they insisted diametrically contrary to science, they stated, they went on the record as stating there was no such thing as a more aggressive form of breast cancer. There was no such thing as a more virulent strain of breast cancer. There was no such thing as an earlier onset form of breast cancer. All bald-faced lies. But these were not just propagated by the organizations that you might recognize as being abortion activists. You know, the Planned Parenthoods and NARALs and NOWs and so forth. National Women's Health Network and all of these. But by others. American Cancer Society, the Breast Cancer Awareness Organizations, so-called. Notably, front and center, Susan G. Komen Foundation, a big backer of Planned Parenthood. And you see, what it came down to was this, is that they were so wedded to the induced abortion racket and the induced abortion agenda that they were desperately fearful of people learning the truth, of women, of young women, of women of childbearing age, of girls learning about this. And they had to do everything in their power not just to savage me, the messenger. You know, this matter of don't shoot the messenger. Messengers have always been shot, okay? You go back to the Bible and God's true prophets, not the myriad false prophets that existed in that time and future times. But the messengers, the prophets of God, whom God referred to as messengers, were in grave danger, grave peril at all times. So it's not exactly something new to attack, to shoot the messenger. I understand that. But the rationale for it, the reason for it, the motivation for it, 
in the guise of championing breast cancer awareness, which has resulted in raking in vast, vast fortunes of money with that simple, stupid mantra, breast cancer awareness. They insisted on preventing women, young women, girls, family members, husbands, fathers, brothers, and so forth, from recognizing the truth of the abortion breast cancer link. This campaign that I undertook that used outdoor advertising predominantly was displayed from New Haven, Connecticut, down to Stamford, Connecticut, outside of New York City, on to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Baltimore, Maryland, Washington, D.C., on down throughout the Deep South, all the way across to Texas. And also, of all places, in Ohio, which is a bit of a leap, I know, but I didn't have the resources to reach further and deeper than I did. But again, I bring this out, this matter of more aggressive, more virulent. We take it for granted with something like this coronavirus, COVID-19, and so many other diseases, all manner of different types of cancer. But with regard to breast cancer, these champions of women, these champions of young women, these champions of providing this fabulous service of public awareness of breast cancer, they used all of their resources to lie about causation factors for breast cancer. If you look up breast cancer now, you look for causation, you will find that to this day that it is stated that in more than 50% of cases, there are no known causation factors. Why is that, do you suppose? Well, a huge glaring reason for that is because of this complete, utter denial that induced abortion is not only a risk factor, but is so unmistakably biologically related to it by short-circuiting the woman's biology, biochemistry during pregnancy. But I digress. So, I mentioned, too, about the Department of Justice, interestingly enough, going to bat for a couple churches who have come under pressure from state governments in Virginia, in Mississippi, 
for holding services. This Lighthouse Fellowship Church in Virginia, a 16-person service resulted in the pastor receiving a citation and summons for this service back. I'm assuming this was at Easter. It was in early April. Assuming that's when it was, was an Easter service. But again, a bright spot. Department of Justice actually is writing in support of them. This other one in Greenville, Mississippi. But these wonderful governors with their executive fiat, their executive orders, as I've mentioned before, if the coronavirus, COVID-19, constitutes such an enormous danger and threat, to the population, that it causes all of these unconstitutional seizures of power by those in power. What is going to happen when something worse comes along and then something worse after that? Well, Of course, this nation and this free world could be sunk into another Great Depression before those things come along. But, and then what will go along with that? Oh, I don't know. How about rioting in the streets? How about the food shortages and what will go with that again? Rioting in the streets, looting. There has been looting. Already. And then, of course, there will be the need for martial law, for outright martial law, right? Oh, but that that's reasonable in a democratic nation. True. I mentioned the other day this very sad story, very sad account concerning Dr. Lorna Breen, only 49 years of age, very lovely woman, very intelligent, extremely accomplished. She was the medical director of the emergency department at New York Presbyterian's Allen Hospital in Upper Manhattan. And she had actually contracted coronavirus and had recovered from that. And she had been treating myriad patients, and she had been seeing a considerable amount of dying of patients, and of some who never made it into the hospital. And she apparently took her own life. I say apparently because I always take suicide with a grain of salt. But all indications are that she took her own life. And I just wanted to touch again on this matter of suicide. You know, we don't know when our lives are going to end. When, how, what the circumstances will be, and all of these sorts of things. 
But why? Why would a person, any person, choose to end their own life violently, whether that is by drugs or weaponry or what have you? Why would they do that knowing that they are committing an act with their last breaths, if you will, that is, to put it very gently, extremely egregious to God Almighty. Now, of course, if you don't believe in God, well, all right. And a great many of these who do take their own lives undoubtedly do not have belief in God, do not have faith in God. If they have faith in God, faith in Christ, they have no business committing suicide. But other people, and this is a very enlightened woman, intelligent, educated, knowledgeable, experienced, accomplished woman, and still a young woman. Oh, yes, you know, teenagers wouldn't think so. 49, that's really getting up there. I don't know what her family situation was in terms of husband and so on and so forth. No husband was mentioned, and she went to her parents' home in Charlottesville, Virginia. But again, I just wanted to touch on that. The hospital issued a statement that she was a hero. And I have no problem with them praising her for her medical service. But the act of taking your own life is not heroic. It simply is not. And it is not rational. It's not reasonable. Not only will she not be able to attend to any people, help any people with all of her skills and experience and talents and education and everything else, but also the heartache this brings to family and loved ones. It's not a rational act. And she was undoubtedly stressed to the breaking point. But again, there are other things to do about that, like walking away. But I'm not focusing on her for purposes of focusing blame on her, anything like that. On the contrary. But it's just there is this romanticization of suicide. There are cultures such as in Japan and in the, elsewhere in the Far East where suicide or harikari or whatever you want to call it, is romanticized and or is made out to be honorable, saving face. It is the exact opposite, the antithesis of that. It is not a heroic act. And it is absolutely, positively, totally, diametrically contrary to God's will. 
And I just hate that this precious woman, that her having committed suicide, that they that may cause others to imitate this. Adults, young people, they get depressed. Oh boy, obviously the thing to do is to take your life. No. Horrible. But moving on. In the great city known as New York City, where Dr. Lorna Breen provided outstanding service. Governor Andrew Cuomo spoke not just for the city, but for the state, the great state of New York, that the following, quote, video marriage ceremonies. There's no excuse now when the question comes up for marriage. No excuse. You can do it by Zoom. Yes or no, end quote. And I muffed that slightly, so let me go back through that again. Video marriage ceremonies. There's now no excuse when the question comes up for marriage. No excuse. You can do it by Zoom, yes or no, end quote. Well, it's a rather poorly worded (laughs) statement. There's now no excuse for what? When the question comes up for marriage, it's just no excuse for not marrying, for not becoming married. How many women would agree with that? That Let's just go ahead, let's just rush ahead, and let's have a strange, (laughs) very strange version of a wedding, of a marriage ceremony. Let's do it online by Zoom, right? How many women dream of that? That's their dream wedding. Well, We are in May now, and we are fast approaching June, which is, of course, associated with being the month for weddings. But weddings take place year-round, of course. And Christmas time is a beautiful time for weddings, if you can stand the weather and what have you. But... Statistically, it seems that there's a much higher propensity for people to, for men to propose somewhere between Christmas to New Year's and for weddings to take place May, June, July, August on into September, but especially in June. But by all means, scrap all of your plans. Scrap all of your dreams. For a picture book wedding, there's no excuse for not getting married now that we're enabling you to do it online. Yes, he signed an executive order allowing couples to get marriage licenses remotely and allowing clerks 
to perform ceremonies over video. Very exciting. Exciting, exciting news. But, again, for a great many women in particular, men would no doubt feel a little less passionately about it, I think, for the most part. But for a very great many women, that simply would not be acceptable. Regardless what the governor of New York State happens to think on the matter. Before I continue, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever is lacking and erring and deficient, that is on me. That is due to me. That is my fault. But before I continue on with stories of a different tenor, let me just revisit this matter of weddings and marriages. And that is, contrary to what a great many people think, God is the creator of marriage, creator of people, creator of marriage. And any wedding, any marriage service that is apart from God, belief in God, faith in God, is contrary to God's will. Now, again, a great many people don't care about that sort of thing. But this matter of marriage licenses here in the United States of America and throughout the free world now, the Western world, former Christendom, marriage licenses are available to sodomites for male with male and female with female. Absolute, utter, total impossibility to call that a marriage. And yet, and yet, the United States Supreme Court with such stellar individuals as Ruth Bader Ginsburg fashioned that ruling to recognize that falsehood, to make it by statute that this constitutes marriage, that that can be a marriage. Even though it is utter, total abomination according to God and utterly prohibited by God, forbidden by God to engage in those practices. But the idiocy of it, to imagine that changing man's law to recognize something that is a complete sham and fraud and lie, that that somehow transforms that into truth 
and righteousness is just breathtaking. But what it does is it undermines marriage. It undermines true marriage, actual marriage, legitimate marriage, which is the reason for it. Again, battle cry among sodomites. Cornerstone to sodomite agenda for decade upon decade upon decade upon decade has been that marriage is legalized rape. But, interestingly enough, they found it to their advantage in their war against Christianity, against society, against culture, to demand that they may marry. Oh, it's all about love. You just don't understand. Well, no, I understand. It has nothing to do with love. But there are myriad ignoramuses who fail to recognize that. Crime, violent crime, murder, and such. They do not take a holiday. No, they don't take a holiday for the likes of Christmas or Resurrection Sunday, Easter. No, they don't. And they don't take a holiday for lockdowns for coronavirus, COVID-19. No. Well, this one young man, Kari, something like that, K-H-A-R-I, Kari Sanford, 18 years of age, a young man of color, who happened to have a girlfriend who was not of color and an incredibly foolish young woman and rebellious young woman. Her parents were, I do say were, this is past tense, her parents were very accomplished. Very accomplished people. Her mother, Dr. Beth Potter, only 52 years of age. She worked at the Wingra Family Medical Center which was an offshoot of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Family Medicine and Community Health and Access Community Health Centers. How's that for a mouthful? She was also the medical director of the University of Wisconsin Health's Employee Health Services. But... She and her husband were slaughtered by the aforementioned Kari Sanford. They were both shot in the back of the head the night before their bodies were discovered at an arboretum 
for the university, which was near the Madison campus. This is back on March 31st. Dr. Potter was wearing pajamas and socks, but no shoes. Her husband was only in underwear. This young man kidnapped them with an accomplice, took them there, and then execution style slaughtered them. Well, what is it that this couple had done? What egregious Terrible thing had this white couple done to this young black man. They had allowed him to move into their house and shack up with their daughter in their house. But when when the coronavirus came along, And there was social distancing rules put in place and sheltering in place. This couple did the terrible, monstrous, egregious, discriminatory thing of moving their daughter and this fellow out of their house and putting them up in a rental house. They rented a house for them. How terrible. Actually, it is terrible, but not in that means. It was terrible for them to be enabling this. But they're so open-minded, so liberal-minded, you know, generous-spirited. So they put them up in a rental house. They rented a house for them. And they were so incensed. This young man of color and his buddy and their daughter. So incensed about this. That this young man of color chose to kidnap them in the middle of the night and murder them. The girl, the daughter, so wise and wonderful, this young woman, she told a friend, you don't care about me. And so forth. But She happened to have a discussion with the young man in a class before school was canceled. And she told him that her parents had bands of money and that they were rich. This girl really helped her parents out. Well... Interestingly enough, there was a phone call made to the house, the rental house, and the contents of it were such that the murderer feared 
that something had gone wrong. And he said the following in earshot of a friend, quote, I swear I hit them. How did they survive? In the back of the head. Meanwhile, the wonderful daughter, she testified to police that this destroyer was with her all night and neither one had left the rental home. What a cautionary tale. Yes. What wise, wonderful parents of this girl. What a pity. Destroyers destroy. And they don't need motivation to do it. But this girl gave this fellow some, didn't she? (laughs) Meanwhile, another case, only this goes back a ways. Goes back to 2010 and comes up to the present. This young man, George Wesley Hughley, the fifth. He was convicted of second-degree murder. He was charged with first-degree murder in Virginia. But he was allowed to plea down his legal team and was convicted of second-degree murder. Well, now he has somehow obtained the services of a new defense team. He's from a wealthy family, I imagine. It sounds that way. And so this new defense team, of course, they insist, well, the previous defense team was negligent. You know, obviously. But also, that during the trial, the jury was confused about the word malice. And they consulted a dictionary for the meaning of it. And this defense team, this new defense team, they insist, quote, this was a flagrant violation of the constitutional rule prohibiting external influences on the jury, end quote. Talk about manipulating (laughs) the law. Just lying, cheating, and stealing just by hook and by crook. This is standard operating procedure for so many lawyers and notably for high-profile defense attorneys. But just one of those things. So they are demanding that, you know, his... Conviction be set aside, of course. Forget the facts of the case. Let's just completely, totally forget the facts of the case. Forget what this young destroyer did. Let's just forget about that, shall we? One doctor who performed an autopsy on this young woman, this beautiful young woman, who was his, described as his on-again, off-again girlfriend. Yardley Love. 
she had the following injuries. She had brain injuries that were consistent with blunt force trauma that caused cardiac arrhythmia and hindered the blood flow to her heart. In February 2010, before she was murdered, Hughley choked her during a party. What a wonderful place to do that, right? Hughley and Yardley Love, they were both lacrosse players at University of Virginia, Charlottesville. You know, Charlottesville, like Dr. Lorna Reed. Same Charlottesville, Virginia. They were at a party celebrating victories by the men's and women's teams. Now, this was apparently at another location. I know when I hear lacrosse or I read lacrosse with regard to NCAA, I immediately think of Johns Hopkins University, which is known for their lacrosse teams, has had so many national champions. Also think of the Naval Academy. But according to Statement in the Baltimore Sun, three lacrosse players from the University of North Carolina pried Hughley off of Yardley at this party during the time in which he was choking her, as in choking her to death. Three lacrosse players from the University of North Carolina team pried him off of her. Going back further, to 2009, something that was well known on the campus to his teammates. Hughley attacked a teammate of his while that teammate was sleeping, violently attacked him because Hughley believed that that teammate had kissed Yardley Love while walking her home from a party. Meanwhile, wonderful young Mr. Hughley. One of his emails to the very lovely Yardley Love said, quote, I should have killed you. Well, he attacked her in her apartment after he'd been boozing all day before or that day leading up to that night. He kicked a hole in her door because she wouldn't open up to him. He stole her laptop computer and threw it in a dumpster. Why would he do such things? Well, meanwhile, back to... Yardley loves injuries. Neuropathologist Christine Fuller described a lesion on the lower portion of her brain, saying, quote, it means there's been blunt force trauma to the head. Another injury near the base of the brain in the vicinity of the spinal cord that would have been caused by torque, a violent twisting, she said was potentially lethal. Lethal. 
She found no pre-existing problems with Yardley Love's brain. But she further said, just looking at the brain, no history, I would have called it trauma, no question. But the defense team back then, they insisted, oh, no, (laughs) there was no attack, nothing like that. Meanwhile, also on Yardley Love's body, a series of bruises on her legs, her lower back, her left forearm and hand, and on her chest. But her most severe injuries were on the right side of her face. The injuries included a battered right eye, bruising to her neck and under her jaw. But dear Mr. Georgie Hughley, he kicked a gaping hole in the door of her bedroom again when she refused to let him in. He was convicted. He was sentenced to 23 years. But this new defense team, again, they would have this set aside. Needs to be set aside. He needs to be released. This wonderful young man so that he can perpetrate a great many vicious, violent crimes while he's still young and at full strength. Well, our defense system, our justice system, our law enforcement system is just, you know, so outstanding, just focused on punishing the wicked, (laughs) right? Protecting the innocent. No, it's unfortunately not. It's supposed to be, but it's not. Another young woman, a lovely young woman, Stephanie Pars. She had problems with a boyfriend, too. On-again, off-again boyfriend who murdered her, John Osbilgan. And her body was finally discovered. It had been missing since October. It was finally discovered in late January of this year. But... He had struck her in the head, threatened her, and she escaped from him and ran down the street. And he was texting and messaging her the night before her disappearance. But, interestingly enough, He took his own life. One more case here that I have time for. Anitra Gunn. Beautiful young woman of color. Black woman. African American woman. Whatever you prefer. She met her end on Valentine's Day, courtesy of, you guessed it, boyfriend. Yes. This precious young woman, 
a Georgia college student, really a beauty. Prior to this, he had smashed the windows of her vehicle, slashed her tires, smashed windows at her apartment. Wonderful fellow. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He needed to take this young woman's life from the earth, slaughter her. She was a student at Fort Valley State University in Georgia. But, and that's near Macon, Georgia. Fort Valley, Georgia, near Macon. She was found dead February 18th. But this nation, we can find cases, violent crime around the world. We don't have a corner on the market on that. But, as is the case throughout the so-called free world, the failure to punish destroyers for what they have done, instead of it speaking of a modern, progressive, enlightened, compassionate charitable civilization. It bespeaks civilization that is blind, ignorant, insane, wrong-headed, unjust, unrighteous, which does not properly value the lives of these who are destroyed. And instead, prefers the destroyers to those they destroy. Enables them, rewards them. Now, even if you don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus Christ, don't believe in the Bible, you should recognize, we all should recognize how terribly wrong that is. And what jeopardy that puts all of society in. It emboldens the evil. It emboldens the wicked. Every single time one of these destroyers gets away with this, one that has been arrested, has been tried, and gets away with this, it emboldens multitudes of others. They spit on Justice. They spit on law enforcement. They have nothing to fear. What's the worst that could happen? And if you do believe in God, do believe in Christ, do believe in the Word of God, then it should be even more offensive because it is diametrically contrary 
to God's word, God's law, God's justice. And most troubling is this, is that the Lord God Almighty attested that nations which refused, peoples which refused to avenge the slaying of innocent blood, and innocent did not mean sinless people, but the taking of innocent blood, God would visit those peoples, those nations, with violent destruction. But, of course, we know better than to fear God and believe his word. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.